Hello, and welcome to this second special episode of the Storybrook podcast. This is uh, our final special episode for the end of our first season of this podcast. We'll be giving our remaining cast members a little bit of time to share with you a piece of literature that they love, and also a bit extra time to tell us why they love it so much and what it means to them. My name is Graham, as always, and with me today, I have... Your other host, Lucius. Hi, I'm your other, other host, Katie. Your other, other, other host, Liv. Your other, 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 other host, Ailish. And I'm your other, 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 other host, Meg. Seamless. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Really? Got that down was so professional yeah. in the intro, it really just set the mood. Uh, I scrambled a few words up there, you? but, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's fine. Yeah, he said so we'd, get the 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 nailed now. we'd get the chime. We'd get the chime to we'd talk get the about chime. a poem. Yep. <laughs> I also heard. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so, I mean, I don't think we have any like housekeeping stuff to do. I, I'm sort of lost as what to say at the beginning of these episodes, apart from just going into it. So, I guess we'll just go into it. Uh, Katie, hi. Hello. Hi. Hello. How you Hello. doing? Hello. I'm pretty good, Graham. How are you? I'm not too bad, <laughs> thank you for asking. Good, Katie. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Katie, keep it all in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep it in there. Uh, <laughs> what are you sharing with us today? So I'm sharing with you today a poem by Emily Dickinson. Uh, none of Emily, well, not none, but most of Emily Dickinson's poems aren't titled because she didn't publish pretty much any of them. So people just take the first name, uh, the first line of the poem as the poem's name. So this is Hope is the Thing with Feathers by Emily Dickinson. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard, and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I heard it in the chillest land and on the stranger sea, yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me. And that's it. She's short and sweet. Three succinct, I have to say. Yeah. Most of them are. She's she's like a three stanza kind of gal. <laughs> I like that, actually. Yeah, very nice. Just I'm not, lovely. I've never been a fan of the really long poems, you know, like a... An, an epic ballad or something that's too mm. much for me mm. you're not, so, not a big like odyssey fan <laughs> i like the odyssey but i like going into sections of it <laughs> mm, um, fair enough fair enough my favorite time ever reading the odyssey was when i may have partaken in some substances beforehand and i had the most vivid imagination of the beginning of it it was great <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't ask me why that was what i chose to do but there we are that sounds like good vibes <laughs> it was really good vibes mm-hmm. i was listening to some studio ghibli soundtracks at the same time oh hell yeah mm. oh wow it was a good time good choice back to emily dickinson nice uh, could you, i know it doesn't segue at all could you tell us a little bit about this work yes. and the author so uh so emily dickinson is a very prolific poet she published over 18 well she wrote over eighteen thousand poets but only about 12 of them were published in her lifetime. The rest of them were published by her sister about 20 years after her death. Um, She grew up in the 1800s, so this was published around, I think, 1891, um, about 20 years after her death. Um, And yeah, she was a major recluse. She just kind of hung out in her little house and wrote poems and kind of refused to see people. And she was known as an eccentric through her town. Whenever she'd go out, she would wear white dresses (laughs) Uh, and white for her symbolized like passion it's like rather than red and stuff she said like red was overdone and boring but white is like a hot steamy passion so she would wear white all the time so 
very good. She, like, as you can kind of tell in this poem, she has, like, quite a relationship with God and stuff. It kind of waxes and wanes through her poem. She's very, like, interested in death and faith, but also Mm. that kind of goes away in and out of her poems. Um, Yeah, super interesting lady. Uh, Super gay, but maybe they were just friends. But, you know. Historians will say. Historians will say they were... They were besties, but yeah, close, pretty gay. Close good friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my my question is: Are we all Emily Dickinson collectively? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when you say collectively, do you mean like we are all amalgamated together to be one Emily, or we're all separate Emily Dickinsons? Um, we power well, the Emily Dickinson like Voltron. We are mm. in a way. Yes. All gay people are Emily Dickinson. You know, Wait, yes. If it was like a Transformer Voltron situation, that that means each of us would bring in an element of Emily Dickinson. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and Ailish, you're the lesbian. So hell yeah. <laughs> I feel like Lucius is the reclusive part of Emily Dickinson because we never see him. Hey. <laughs> That's true. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I go outside. I've never seen proof of it. (laughs) Um, You have. uh, hmm? Could be photoshopped. If I've not seen it in person, I don't believe it. Well, come here then. (laughs) All right. Get the train. Now. Ah! (laughs) Now, It's raining. (laughs) I don't care. I feel like we're all the part of Emily Dickinson where she's like, so I just sat inside for many months and thought about death. Anyway, now I'm going out in my silly little outfit to walk around the town. Time to go to town. Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Obsessed with her. (laughs) Pretty much. Mm -hmm. So why did you choose this poem in particular, Katie? Uh, I really like this one because I think, like, I'm not personally religious, so Emily Dickinson's, like, religious works don't super resonate with me, but um, her, like, faith in hope is something that does resonate with me and it tracks through her poetry, whether she's tracking that onto God or not. So I think it's very nice, this reflection of hope is, like, always available and inexhaustible and always there, even if you're not accessing it. Like, at the end when she says, hope never asks anything of her, she's like, it's always something that you can access which i think is nice because i feel like we'll never know if having hope is there the correct response to the whole human condition thing but it's kind of the only survivable one because if you do think like oh everything is bad and there's no hope that anything will ever be good for anyone that's not a way that you can live you've got to at least go with the thing with feathers you know like Mm. that's the survivable option (laughs) and also i'm gay (laughs) what <laughs> what? This is a revelation. One of the really fun things about this poem and a lot of her work is the debate over how she uses like dashes and stuff. Like if you look mm. up the poem, every line has a dash in. And some people think that's her being um eccentric, that's her like talking about death never ending, and other people think that's just how she writes because she also puts it in like her recipes and her shopping lists and stuff. <laughs> so it's very that. funny to see people debate how the dashes use when it's like it might just be that's how she writes. It's very funny. She's she's just a big fan of a dash. She's the yeah, epitome of that her. running gag about how everyone writes with too many dashes. Literally. <laughs> There's <laughs> one in every line of this poem, or more. I just really like the idea that she can write really nice mm-hmm. poetry, but has never learned to use punctuation, like most of us. <laughs> just vibes. Nah, she's... Emily Dickinson's <laughs> only here for vibes. Not, if yeah. you're not looking to publish, though, <laughs> you don't necessarily have to put in a punctuation for someone else. If you just mm-hmm. know there's going to be some form of pause there, maybe it's just that's her notation mm-hmm. for, you know, do some improv pausing here. Yeah. Who knows? Mm-hmm. 
definitely. And you never know if she intended anyone to read them or not. Like she published 12-ish, I think it's 12 poems, but like all of the many, many hundreds and thousands that she put, like her sister found, just got published way afterwards in no particular order. They're all on scraps of paper and in, she has her own like mm. little leather bound works that she bound herself and stuff into collections, which is really cool. Uh, some of them are still surviving. Most of them are not. How do you feel about this idea that she never chose to publish these works and yet they were published for her? I think it's less of a choosing to publish it and more of a, mm. well, she was like a woman in the 1800s and they probably, like you would get published in that way through like a newspaper column or something like that. So it's, you we don't know 100% why she wasn't published, whether she would have wanted them to be published or not. So yeah, I don't know. I think it's one of those things that's really interesting, especially immediately, posthumously. Like, should we be reading these like within 10, 20, 30 years of someone mm. dying? Probably not if they didn't want them published. But then all these many years later, it's like, yeah. where's the cultural value in not sharing them? You know, if they don't have like living relatives and stuff. Yeah, I hope she would want people to read them because they're good poems. They for, yeah, they're good. I <laughs> yeah. think it would be a loss mm-hmm. if we didn't. But... Absolutely. Yeah. Are there any particular key passages or something that you really like from this one that you'd like to... Well, it, it's real short, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's so, a difficult question um... <laughs> for that reason, actually. Yeah. No, I like it all. Uh, I really like the end about it. Um, hope never asking something of you because that's the whole thing. Mm. I know a lot of people find this poem kind of childish, which is one of the reasons I like it. Like, she has stuff that's less straightforward. Like, there's not any deep metaphor in this. It's about hope. The thing with feathers is a bird, whether that's biblical or not. Though it could be anything with feathers. The dinosaur. Don't you dare talk about yes. dinosaurs that having feathers way. on my podcast. How <laughs> yeah, dare you? Someone draw nice. that, please. Shrink yeah. wrap effect only. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the last bit's my favourite too yeah. because I love the word crumb. Mm-hmm. It's a much less sophisticated right? reason to like it, but I just like that. You know when like, you no, like the way the nice. word looks on a page? Yeah. I like the B at Absolutely. the end. Absolutely. That's one of the big things about Emily Dickinson. I'm like, I don't know why I like some of these, but she just puts she just puts the words in the right places, yeah. doesn't she? It makes sense. It looks like it's You're right. like, mm, that's right, isn't yeah. it? Crumb is correct. It makes a nice shape for my eyes on the page. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of people think it's childish, especially the language in this one. But I think that's nice. And I think it's reflective of the theme. Like, mm. hope itself is very childish, but nice, you know? I've always been a fan of, of those. simplicity in poems anyway. I feel like if you have to yeah. go super you know freely to make your point across it then are you actually good exactly uh, maybe controversial I, any fans of particularly fanciful poets in the room might disagree but <laughs> i'm not looking at lucius i just feel like that's kind of your vibe just staring at <laughs> lucius's photo in the discord flavor text i have a good discord profile picture audio description <laughs> it's good uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's good None it is a photo of me it. surprisingly no no you won't yeah i am a mystery it's true Thank you. you're very mysterious mm-hmm. i do try would anyone else like to jump in on some emily dickinson poetry before we move on yes i love her kisses kisses for emily dickinson <laughs> good yeah, I, I also studied i also studied emily dickinson um actually i think at A-level, and I think maybe touched on her a little bit um, at uni. Um, and I just love her. I think I'm she's so jealous great. I've never been able to actually study her. I'm just a nerd. Oh, 
It's so good. So we did, well, we did about how um, the theory that she had um, epilepsy or some other kind of disease that caused, like, not disease, but disorder that caused her to have fits, um, mm-hmm. which I think is a really interesting theory, and that's from I Felt a Funeral in My Brain. My favourite ever poems of her are Because I Could Not Stop for Death, He Kindly Stopped for Me. Such a um, good one. So I'm getting emotional now because I read that poem quite a lot after my grandma died. I didn't know I was going to get emotional. Sorry. Oh, no. Um, Moving on. Um, And my other favourite poem of hers is A Letter. Because Mm. it's about writing a letter to someone you love and maybe they love you back, but you haven't confessed it yet. And I think, I can't remember the exact line, but it's about something about hiding passion in a comma Mm -hmm. and something like that, which I just think... She does a lot of that, especially in her love Mm. poems. It's all very, like, discreet and, like, hiding stuff because she was gay. Mm. But, um... Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Also, her nature poetry is also really nice. Don't get me wrong. I love her little poems Mm -hmm. just about a fun little bird that she saw on a walk. And um, Mm. the mushroom is the elf of plants. Oh, hell yeah. Wonderful. What earth was she talking about? (laughs) No idea. Love her so much. (laughs) I just think she had such a way with words. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, she's not as, I'll say, technically sophisticated as a lot of the other poets that were around at that time. But that's why I think she's so great because she's so refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, those are my. Yeah. If you've never read any Emily, Emily Dickinson, those are my suggestions mm-hmm. because I could not stop for death and uh, the letter. I think it is called the letter or our letter. Yeah, There's, a lot of them the don't have is, actual names. Yeah, <laughs> so they just don't like have facts. actual names, so you just kind of yeah. have to guesstimate at what you're, you're like, saying. Poem five something, depending on which that book you're one. About. <laughs> <laughs> it's great when people just have the first line of the poem when she actually has a really long first line of her poem because she's put about mm. three million dashes in there. Mm. <laughs> I'm of the opinion that the dashes were just a fun quirk. By the way, that's Hell yeah. I'm, I'm severely like on them. team. She <laughs> likes them. I'm on so. team. They look cool. Uh, <laughs> yes. I would big recommend I heard a fly buzz when I died because it's just yes. Emma Dickinson talking about like, well, death is going to happen and then Jesus is coming. But what if Jesus is kind of like a weird little fly? What do we do then? Jesus it's being Kafka. Cool. No. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Or if the king comes back, but the king is just some guy. <laughs> It's it's really interesting though because I felt a fly I heard a fly buzz not I felt a fly buzz sorry I heard a fly buzz when I die is also one of the poems that people use to say that maybe she had some sort of um, illness that caused her to mm-hmm. either have uh, dissociative states or something like that so it's about her maybe feeling conscious above her body and maybe looking like mm-hmm. potentially having a bit of an out of body experience because she was having like a neurological issue. Um, so mm-hmm. then people are like, oh, well, she was kind of experiencing death and life at the same time, which is why she writes so much about death. Could also be that she's like, what if Jesus comes back and he's not that impressive? Yeah, what, what if do Jesus do is then? just some guy and then I'm dead? What then? <laughs> yeah, what then? But then, yeah, so I say I just think it's really interesting that there's all these different perspectives on her her poems and we will never truly know unfortunately because we can't ask if you want a very fun perspective i highly recommend dickinson it's very silly Um, (laughs) yes wiz khalifa plays death in it it's very dumb and fun hell yeah it's so good it's recent isn't it i think i yeah Haley steinfeld's in it Mm. um she's she's emily dickinson it's great it's not historically accurate but it is fun (laughs) excellent so just to shuffle along from emily dickinson slightly back to you live though immediately almost um what have you got for us oh, <laughs> hello i have a poem called darkness by lord byron that tracks 
I'm gonna read it now. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm I'm repping Team Kooky Spooky this week as Meg was last week. Yep, it's got to be done. <laughs> okay, and I'm I'm gonna apologize because I think this is the longest poem that we've done. All That's right. all right. Take your time. I had a dream, which was not all a dream. The bright sun was extinguished, and the stars did wander darkling in the eternal space, rayless and pathless, and the icy earth swung blind and blackening in the moonless air. Morn came and went, and came, and brought no day, and men forgot their passions in the dread of this their desolation, and all hearts were chilled into a selfish prayer for light, and they did live by watchfires, and the thrones and the palaces of the crowned kings, the huts, the habitations of all things which dwell, were burnt for beacons, cities were consumed, and men were gathered round their blazing homes to look once more into each other's face. Happy were those who dwelt within the eye of the volcanoes, and their mountain torch, a fearful hope was all the world contained, Forests were set on fire, but hour by hour they fell and faded, and the crackling trunks extinguished with a crash, and all was black. The brows of men by the despairing light wore an unearthly aspect, as if by fits their flashes fell upon them. Some lay down and hid their eyes and wept, and some did rest their chin upon their clenched hands and smiled. And others hurried to and fro, and fed their funeral piles with fuel, and looked up with mad disquiet upon the dull sky, the pall of a past world, and then again with curses cast them down upon the dust, and gnashed their teeth and howled, the wild birds shrieked, and terrified did flutter on the ground, and flapped their useless wings, the wildest brutes came tame and tremulous, and vipers crawled and twined themselves among the multitude, hissing but stingless, they were slain for food. And war, which for a moment was no more, did glut himself, a meal was bought with blood, and each sate suddenly apart, gorging himself in gloom. No love was left. All earth was but one thought, and that was death. Immediate and inglorious, and the pang of famine fed upon all entrails. Men died, and their bones were tombless as their flesh. The meagre by the meagre were devoured. Even dogs assailed their masters, all save one. And he was faithful to a corpse, and kept the birds and beasts and famished men at bay, till hunger clung them, or the dropping dead lured their lank jaws, himself sought out no food, but with a piteous and perpetual moan, a quick desolate cry licking the hand which answered not with a caress, he died. The crowd was vanished by degrees, but two of an enormous city did survive, and they were enemies. They met beside the dying embers of an altar place, which had been heaped a mass of holy things, for an unholy usage. They raked up, and shivering scraped with their cold skeleton hands the feeble ashes, and their feeble breath blew for a little life, and made a flame, which was a mockery. Then they lifted up their eyes as it grew lighter, and beheld each other's aspects, saw, and shrieked, and died. Even of their mutual hideousness they died, unknowing who he was upon whose brow famine had written fiend. The world was void, the populace and the powerful was a lump, seasonless, herbless, treeless, manless, lifeless, a lump of death, a chaos of hard clay. The rivers, lakes and oceans all stood still, and nothing stirred within their silent depths. Ships sailorless lay rotting on the sea, and their masts fell down piecemeal as they dropped. They slept on the abyss without a surge. Their waves were dead. The tides were in their grave. The moon, their mistress, had expired before. The winds were withered in the stagnant air, and the clouds perished. Darkness had no need of aid from them. She was the universe. And that's the end of my poem. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Spooky. Wow. spooky. Spooky. Yeah, good. I, I couldn't pick a favourite bit, so I just wanted to read the whole thing, because oh, I think it's... 
Mm, delicious. It's <laughs> so delicious. it's all about the apocalypse. I was going to say. Um, yeah. of the apocalypse. Take us through we love the apocalypse. What's occurring in this poem? It's the end of the I world. I will. Okay, so I have um, I have some notes because um, the historical context is actually pretty important to this. Um, there's loads of stuff I love about it without the historical context, but the mm. historical context is pretty cool. Um, so obviously it's Lord Byron. It was written during the Romantic period where everyone got proper moody and did lots of, <laughs> you know, nature metaphors and stuff. Yes. Proper moody. <laughs> Thank you. Also at the time... Um, Within the Romantic period, there were a number of meteorolog- meteor- meteorological sorry, yeah. events that supposedly resembled the apocalypse. And also, they just discovered um, that fossils existed. So people were currently at a time where they were like, right, um, there's signs of the biblical apocalypse. And also, we just found out that there used to be things living on the Earth and they all died in some mysterious way that we don't know about. So people were getting a little bit freaked out. Um, so authors were kind of inspired by this and gave themselves this kind of aspect of prophethood. So they felt that they needed to like warn people of their impending doom if they didn't change their ways and stuff like that, which is how Darkness was born. Um, so Darkness was written in 1816, which was also dubbed the year without a summer because unknown to everyone living just in Europe at the time, volcanic ash from the eruption of Mount Tambora in Indonesia basically spread across Europe and caused inexplicable darkness and record cold temperatures especially in Geneva, which is where Lord Byron was staying at the oh. time. Um, also, the, the, like, the search for the cause of the strange weather caused scientists at the time to see sunspots on the sun that were so big that they could see them with the naked eye. Uh, sunspots are basically caused by um, nuclear reactions within the sun where they like explode out. They're really cool. You are not supposed to see them if you just look at the sun. You shouldn't really look at the sun. So that was also very... You shouldn't look at the sun, but there are certain filters that you can use on telescopes and things that you can use to look at the sun. Nice. I thought but you either way, you shouldn't be able to see. Straight at it. Well, they might have been just looking at the sun, but either way, if you looked at, say, you glanced up at the sun and you suddenly saw that there was a spot on it, would you not be a bit freaked yeah, out? Freaky. Yeah. Um. So Byron claimed to have re- received inspiration from the poem that he wrote it at Geneva, and this is a direct quote wrote it at Geneva when there was a celebrated dark day on which the fowls went to roost at noon and the candles were lighted as at midnight. Uh, so yeah, he, he caught inspiration from real life things that were happening and also from the general kind of... Like, as we know, I mean, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein was published a year later, which is also about, you know, humans playing God and, like, the aspect of science and, like, the, the you know, the gap between, like, living and dead kind of being breached. And everyone was kind of having a little bit of a wobbly time with religion shall we say um so uh, yeah i just think it's really cool that he used that as inspiration for the poem i also think that i th- also think it's really great that um obviously you have like the the four horsemen of the apocalypse in there you know you've got famine war death and pestilence um and he also like he references those and references that kind of aspect of the biblical nature but then he also says that like if it actually came down to it even the most religious people would burn churches and altars and everything they could to create fire. You know, like, when it actually comes down to the apocalypse, people will abandon their religion because they're so scared. Um, Which I think is cool. I mean, it's quite a bleak outlook on the world, I'm not going to lie, except for that one poor dog. But, yeah, I I would love to hear everyone's thoughts on it because I really like this poem. (laughs) I was going to say, I love the point, like, near the end but not quite the end where it feels like everything has come back and but except all the people because it's just like Mm. it's all sort of like 
what did we mm. do this all for? Now everybody's dead and everything's burned. And it did come back and it all sort of resolved itself, except for the fact that you didn't wait. <laughs> so that makes sense. I don't know if I was listening wrong, but it felt mm. like everything, everyone panicked. It all went black. Everyone had a bad time. They burnt the churches, they burnt everything. And then the sun came back, kind of. Uh, but everything was dead. <laughs> uh, the ending is more that the um, like darkness has taken over, and that there's nothing like their burning and killing each other was completely futile. More of, which is very sad. It's like darkness has replaced mm. the sun, and the moon's gone out even as well. Very intense. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. You know, I, I like the the aspect of peace at the end of the of the poem, even though it's like kind of a dark peace, because you know it's just that nothing's alive anymore. What were you going to say, Lucius? <laughs> there we go. I really like the men forgot their passions in the dread of this their desolation. It just, mm. it just sounds nice. Mm. I know it's about like people losing everything that they would normally fight for because hey, it's the apocalypse. But it it just sounds good. Language mm. go brr. Yeah. <laughs> yes, language go brr. <laughs> just sounds funky. That was it. I didn't really have a. A, a conscious point yeah no fair enough it's a good it's a good bit i, I honestly mm. i really like the first line of the poem which is i had a dream which was not all a dream because mm. you know i think he's mm. he's kind of doing a bit of a hello everyone with the way society is going if the apocalypse happened you'd all kill each other there's only one good guy and it's a dog um byron <laughs> loved animals by the way i i feel like i need to say that he that um <laughs> He loved animals. Um, when he was at Cambridge University, he was told that he was not allowed a cat or a dog, so he brought a bear with him. <laughs> I can't <laughs> <do that. laughs> Of course he did. Didn't wasn't it also yes. Byron that had snakes yes. on his yes. banisters Sounds like him. and he owned a zebra? <laughs> because I learned that that has just been the yeah. earworm in my brain for like ten years since I saw it in Horrible Histories when I was yeah. actually um, more than stuff that they won't tell you on Horrible Histories is that uh, Byron was <laughs> um, well he had lots of uh, he had lots and lots of sex uh, he was arguably I mean obviously we can't he was very promiscuous he most likely slept with Percy Shelley at one point um, which is fun uh, he also uh, was excommunicated from, I believe, Italy for shacking up with his half sister. Wow. Um, so... <laughs> Not recommended. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. I, I take the good for him I, back. Byron is my ultimate problematic fave. Him. He's also the reason why we have <laughs> Twilight. I'm just saying. So um, true. Which, which, by the way, yeah, there's yeah, another one of his poems that's um, fair. where I can it's see literally that. about him reading a play that hit so his doctor wrote a play about a vampire and based the vampire in lord byron and there's a poem that he re- wrote which is just called dear doctor i have read your play and um <laughs> it's well it's basically being like yeah it's right i am him and also your play is really bad <laughs> <laughs> is this play about us? God! Please, someone make that a meme so we can post it on the story. I will. <laughs> I will. I'll find. It. I can't. I can never remember the name of the play that the guy was based on Byron. But yeah, he ends it with like, "It is me." Name of character that was based on Byron, which is very funny. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, he was he was oh. fun. He was besties with Mary Hilarious. Shelley um, as well. It, basically, that whole group of poets. It's highly likely that they did a lot of drugs and slept with each other. Now, I can't yep. say they did it for sure because no, <laughs> none of them wrote it in their diaries. But allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> I like to think it happened. Um, but yeah, uh, I do. I do like Byron. Obviously, absolute problematic fave, but he was. You know, the hot thang for his time. Would you say this is your favourite one? My English teacher, yes. the quote that stuck in her brain was mad, bad and dangerous to know. Yes, that's him. Yeah. That's I him. had to write so many essays about that. That and Heathcliff. <laughs> <laughs> the impact that Lord Byron had on Western canon is immeasurable. Insane. <laughs> There is a fun little fact about Lord Byron. Um, yes. His daughter was Ada Lovelace, who yes! is Sorry. the uh, yeah, who is the inventor of um, the first algorithm. So she's actually part of the reason that we have the internet. Mm-hmm. I love her so much. I love Ada Lovelace. I had a book on her when I was a kid, and I absolutely yes. idolised her. Did you know that her, her mum banned poetry in the house? Yes, yes. Her mum wanted her to not turn into her <laughs> father sense, so badly, so bad. <laughs> the stem queen like, go look <laughs> at the maths look at it oh, <laughs> I am a woman in stem the problem is though is that she didn't yes. do quite good enough she didn't do quite good enough job because while Ella lovely she did invent you know the algorithm that means we now have the computer and she was very very smart she <laughs> did try and run off with one of her maths tutors in the middle of the night at one point that's so, fine. <laughs> she's still it's only the one math tutor. <laughs> she's got her mama's brain and her mouse. daddy's heart. Good for her. <laughs> oh yeah, very good. Love to see it. <laughs> so absolute yeah, queen. Absolute queen. I love Ada Lovelace so much. Also, her name is just gorgeous. It's a great name. Mm. It's so good. I love the little portrait of her where she's wearing actually. that little like purple velvet thing. So cute. Absolute icon. So. Unless anyone has some more Byron-related content, which I am open to, if anyone has more. I know there's endless Byron anecdotes. <laughs> yeah, so maybe we should not yeah, maybe the full If you don't stop me, I'm gonna go on. No, he is the most anecdotally yeah. inclined man in history, I think. A little bit. So, yeah. In that case, um, I think we'll wrap up there. Uh, so, thank you for listening to this special episode of the Storybrook Podcast. And we... We'll see you next time, but for something a little different, by which I mean more of the same of what we normally do, but with a new book, which is... (laughs) We've already announced this, to be fair. (laughs) But it is The Great Gatsby. Drumroll. So yeah, look forward to that. We'll see you soon for some green light activity. We'll get our lords on. Um, Not George Byron's, I mean the... Popular New Zealand pop artist. Anyway, I always forget his uh, name's George. Oh, it ruins it, doesn't it? Get there. Hmm. His name's George. Byron oh, Byronson. wait, not Byron. Byron. Not like Mario Mario. There's no such thing as a sexy George. I think it'd be funnier if his first name was Brian. <laughs> Brian Byron. <laughs> there is only one sexy Brian in existence. Brian Byron. Is that Brian, Brian David, David Gilbert? Gilbert? It is Brian David Gilbert. There we go. Nice. Look at, at him. us with other sexy Brian's. I dare you. I was trying yeah. to think of another one. At us yeah, at no, Storybrook right. Pod with your sexiest Brian. If you can find <laughs> yeah, a sexy you know George, <laughs> uh, then yeah. I'll allow it. Also, 
Show us your Brian. Show and tell. Show us your sexiest Brian and tell us about him. I'm not Brian yet. Bring out your Brian's. (laughs) Brian's listening right now. You're our favourite Brian. And don't let anyone tell you different. (laughs) This goes out to all the Brian's in the room. Kisses to all of the Brian's. (laughs) All my Brian's, my George's. All the Brian's in love. I'll go put your hands. None of them are in love because apparently they're not (laughs) sexy. Oh, no. Descending into chaos. We should end the episode. Let's go away and think about our Brian's in peace. And so on this note, bye. 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 goodbye. It's a goodbye for me as well. And it's a bye from all of us, except <laughs> for our monosexual friends. Hey. Uh, that yes, took me a second. Gay for me. Uh. <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.